Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. I will immediately apologise for the nasally disgusting voice that you're going to hear for the uh, majority of this episode. It's not actually as a result of the uh, stag do. It's quite simply because it's cold season. Probably COVID, probably COVID, summer, isn't it? But... You got COVID on the plane. Fucking the fart. Fuck, imagine the, the, pl- the, the flight back from Munich is literally a COVID fart tube. Basically, just that's what beer you're... and meat. Yeah, just dudes that are grunting out guffs have just been drinking 10 steins a day for four days and COVID, basically. Definitely recommend it. Um, October 1st. I wouldn't do it again, I don't think. It's one of those things where one and done, it's so much drinking and so intense and we barely ate out that I think I'd struggle to do it again. Yeah, you said you sounded like you got a bit stitched up by one of your mates being a bit of a clown and losing uh, all your vouchers and shit like that. But as you said, I, di- I didn't realise what you said that like they didn't actually offer food in the tent. I mean, which sounds crazy. I I, I always got the impression from the the German type of way it works that you could get like fucking bratwursts and stuff yeah, like pickle. that like, all the time. Well, a pickle, a pickle, or I think what was the other thing you said you could get um, a pretzel. Pretzel, that's not going to help when you're fucking drinking 10 pints, is it? Like, you need something, a bit of substance, like, as you say, a nice fucking couple of hot dogs, some shit like that will go down nicely. But, yeah, it surprised me when you said that. that I thought that they would have a little stand or something, like, in the tents where you could get uh, food. That I think, I mean, it just sounds disastrous as well, knowing loads of English people are going over, letting them drink loads and loads of beer and not have any food. Like, it doesn't sound a very sensible idea. I think it's it's weird because there are loads of like amenities outside, so you could go out of the tent and go get some food. But there are a certain point, and I have no idea why, but there are a certain point where they just wouldn't let you come back into the tent because the the toilets in the tent in the the second tent that we went to were always crowded, as you'd imagine. The queues were out of the door, absolute nightmare. And one of my mates found out that there were like a, an outside toilet just round back, and it were always empty. So we were going to that all the way through and then it got to probably about four hours of being there and they just basically said, you're not allowed back in. And we, all mates had to sneak back in to try and get back into the tent. So no idea why they do it. Uh, the other thing, Germans are really pretentious about Lederhosen's. So they're all wearing like the full on, you know, 200 euro, 300 euro outfits. And we're wearing these 30 pound Amazon knockoff things. And they're coming up to us and like picking at it. And be like, oh, what's these? What someone shouting Robin Hood at me at one point. <laughs> um, I mean, is there like fucking I mean, I don't think English people would say have a an uh you know a, a set of clothes that you would associate with them all the time, but later hosing get is the standard German shit. Maybe they take a bit of pride in that. So uh it's like our uh, Stone it, Island, isn't it? <laughs> maybe i mean I, I don't know i can't imagine many football hooligans wearing fucking lederhosen at fucking scrapping in fucking service stations fucking at football but maybe uh straight into it then mma ufc some absolutely unbelievable fight announcements coming up certainly for 295 and 296 all happened since you left didn't it yeah, they, absolutely. They, you, you you fucked off because we did the podcast early last week because of your, your little trip. And um, I started texting you saying shit is going wild. Fucking, um, I don't remember such a, a spate of decent um, announcements in such a, such a short space of time. But 
Um, I mean, you've got to start with 295 if it wasn't good enough uh, already, being Jones, uh, Stipe. Uh, they've added uh, Prohaska, uh, Prohera for the light heavyweight title. And um, I don't know if you saw a little stat on this. It's insane. What's insane with it is the number of UFC fights both of them have had. So I think Prohaska's had three UFC fights, if I'm not mistaken. And one of them included being and reigning as the obviously like heavyweight title champ before he injured his shoulder and got this back. I think Prohera might have had, say, five or six, maybe at max, and has the chance already to be a champ champ. If Prohera wins, he will have had mid- middleweight title and light heavyweight title in that ridiculous amount of time, which is crazy. What I'm going to ask is, regardless of who wins, how quickly is said person going to get injured and have to vacate this cursed title? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I did see Hill come out, obviously he was a champ, but had to vacate after his his uh, his basketball injury, um, sort of making a point like, um, you know, I better be fucking next, um, whoever wins this, and sort of saying I think that his, his rehabbing was going better than expected, but um, should be a very good fight. Uh, I mean, Brahaska showed against... Um, Texera, a lot better ground game, I think, than most people gave him credit for. Obviously, actually subbed him, which nobody would have suspected uh, to pull that sort of come-from-behind victory. And we know that being taken down is Pereira's, um, you know, Achilles heel. If it stays on the feet, it's going to be a proper stand-up war. Um, but I've got to say, I, I, I fancy Pereira to take it, if I'm honest with you. Well, it was weird because the betting odds opened with Prohaska not necessarily a heavy favourite, but I think you're like minus 200. So the suggestion would be that he would be the safe bet. Since the odds have come out, that's already flipped and Pereira is now an odds-on favourite to win. So the majority of people are going with yourself. Yeah, I, I just think at that size, as long as he can, again, if he works his takedown defence, Brasca is not known for, I mean, for, for that, Brasca again, is tends to be a man that's prepared to stand and bang as he did against Texera for the majority of the match. The only reason he really ended up taking him down was he was taking a bit of a battering and it was a bit of a mistake from Glover that he capitalised on. But if this is going to be like uh, effectively a boxing or kickboxing match on its feet, Pereira is a fucking hard hard man to be taking on with with his skills at that level and without that weight cut, the size he comes in at. So... um, I'm definitely fancying, uh, I'd definitely put my money on a John Jones, Alex Pereira double on that one. Either way, what a joint co-main event that is. Like both of them, absolutely fantastic. It's one that we're definitely staying up for. We haven't got a shot. Oh, there, 100% I'll be up for that. They have since, uh, I haven't got it here in front of me. I've got to be honest, I did look because I thought it was a bit strange that they've only announced those two. They have announced one further fight for that, which is... I think it's a straw rate women's fight. Dressica Andrade versus uh, Mackenzie Dern. That's who it is. Um, so yeah. that, that's that's a decent fight. But they've only announced those three fights for 295, which is Sunday, uh, November the 11th. So obviously we'll, we'll, we'll cover that a little bit closer. But they've announced the full card or the full, full main card anyway for uh, 296, haven't they? Which is a bit... Seems a bit backwards that the one in further in the future they've announced the full card for. Just before we get on to two nine six, I'm just looking at Jessica Andrade. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of her before. She looks exactly like one of my mates 
ex-girlfriends. So we met Aaron. She looks girl... hard as fuck. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's a bit like um, James Charles, if you ever know, if you've heard of him, but with a bit more muscle. But she, she, she's, she's not an easy fight at all. Mackenzie Dern, obviously, is literally one of the probably top three jiu-jitsu practitioners, female-wise, in the world. She's fantastic. She, no standing game whatsoever. So her only way to victory is to take her down. But Andrade is tough. You know, she's That's sport. what we used to say to me, mate, Aaron, about her. Uh, we always used to say about his ex, you need to take her down because otherwise you're going to batter him. So similar, similar. Um, 296, uh, an absolute spate of fights announced, as you say. Main event being the one that we've been talking about, whether it, are, whether it wouldn't happen for quite a while. Edwards, Covington, well-weight title. Um, I think Edwards smashes him, I'll be honest. I think you. I'd like to hope so, but I don't think it's quite as convincing as that. I mean, Colby, as much as everybody likes to hate him, is is definitely underrated in terms of his fitness, his volume, his his forward pressure. Um, it's it. It'll be interesting to see how Edwards adjusts to take him on because he probably hasn't fought anyone of that kind of nature. I mean, he fights in a similar way that. Um, I, I call him a thinking man's Sean Strickland would be a sensible way to describe him in terms of our fights. He's always coming forward, applies a lot of forward pressure, but he's not as reckless as Strickland or certainly previous Strickland before we won the middleweight title. Uh, superb wrestler. We know that Edwards being an English guy, sadly wrestling is not his, his, his forte. Covington's going to be looking to take him down at every opportunity, but um, equally, uh, obviously Edwards is the considerably better striker. Um, but I don't think anyone really believes that Covington deserves this or wants to see this. This just seems to be one that Dana, for whatever reason, has had in his head for a while and just won't let go that it was going to happen. So um, it's funny it's you happening. compare him to um, Strickland because I think they play the same role, don't they, in the UFC? They both play heels. They're both these, I'm going to say, controversial shit. I'm going to support Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Covington comes across as an unlikable version of Strickland. At least with Strickland, you think, actually, there might be a bit of humanity behind him. It might not all be entirely an act. It might just be a bit of a nutcase. Covington, it's so painfully obvious that this is an act. And I think we've discussed it before. I think one of the things that you were saying is he was on the verge of being cut a few years ago until sort of mixing it up and changing his act and becoming this more entertaining figure. But not for me. It's he's boring think... fire. He's, he's, he's yeah, not an exciting absolutely. fighter to watch. He doesn't bring much. As I say, he was, he, was, he was about to get cut and he just then suddenly, it sort of coincided with Donald Trump. He suddenly started coming out with the fucking... MAGA hat and playing that the foot. I mean, it, he he's the closest thing in the UFC to like what I would call like your pro wrestling type twat. You know, complete act put on, says all this silly thing just to put for, for attention. And as I said, the, the irony is, is I've heard on a various podcasts of people that know him actually quite well say he's actually a pretty decent guy, completely different, nice guy. Um, you know, nothing like the 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 heel or the image that he portrays. Um, but yeah, again, hundred percent be getting up for this one, and hundred percent be rooting for Edwards to win. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a flyweight title bout as well, which I believe is the co-main. We've got Pantoja versus Royval. I believe it's the second uh, time they've had a fight. First time being back at a fight night in 
Ooh, God knows when. Um, I think it was on fight night at Cannoneer and Gastelum, and he got choked out. Did uh, Royval Pantoja talk it last time? Yeah, Pantoja has again fantastic jiu-jitsu. That's his uh, forte. It goes to the ground. You're in real trouble with him. Um, again, very underestimated um, champion. Uh, obviously, this is his first defense after winning uh, the title in his last match. Um, not many contenders to be if we're being totally honest at that weight so it doesn't feel like there's a a massive queue of people lining up that uh Patoja could have but I, I I personally see Patoja taking that win again relatively easily if I'm honest with well, you. Like, like you say there's Patoja, Moreno, Rival and the other alien in that division there's not anyone that you think ah throw him in that's definitely a, a viable challenger it's just Pretty much that. And the chances are Moreno will be having a fight probably relatively soon. I would have thought if Moreno wins that, that sets him up for the rematch against Patoja. Again, I think that would be the third fight, I believe. I think they've had two already, haven't they? Split up. I thought it was like them. four. I thought it is it not more than that? They've definitely had two. Whether it's three, I don't know. Um yeah, but I think three were two ninety. So I think it'd be the quadrilogy if they fought again, which so now Isn't it funny how that. I think the only two quadrilogies have ever been at flyweight? It's the same as Figgy versus Moreno, just because, again, back to that point of a lack of challengers, they just have to keep running the, these these things back. Um, yeah. Just a quick, uh, going off on a slight tangent there, just because we mentioned Figgy, I saw he'd come out this week, and I never think this is a good idea for fighters. We've talked about this again uh, before when some people lay out their retirement plans you know if your mind's already on retirement then um you're in dangerous territory in the ufc fighting these young up-and-comers but he's obviously decided to move up to bantamweight um and he said his ideal is two fights fight for the bantamweight title retire that's his his, john jones um i mean he's decent at his weight um going up but he's you know Bantamweight is a is a different kettle of fish. You got you know that is one of the bet more stacked divisions, completely compared to flyweight. But um, yeah, I, I always I think it's dangerous when any fighter starts talking about retirement and that's on their mind. That to me means that they can't fully to commit to being in the now, concentrating on what they're doing, what they do. I, I, I just think that's a a weakness that, 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 you know, and a distraction uh, and certainly something if I was, a, a, I think, you know, the time has come um, and it should be something you, you, you're fully in or you're fully out. MMA is not a part-time thing. You know, it's not something you should be doing. Ah, I'll do this fight, maybe one more than I retire. That's a da- dangerous, dangerous mindset to have for me. Uh, three other fairly big fights, to be honest, announced on the uh, 296 card. And like you say, it's a bit of a strange one because they seem to have absolutely packed 296 and not so much 295. Uh, the return of Paddy the Baddy. Uh, he is fighting Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson seems to be on the downward spiral at the moment, seems to be heading towards the twilight years of his career. This isn't an easy fight for Paddy. And obviously there was a controversy with Jared Gordon early in uh, 2022 with uh, the fight that most people had scored Gordon as winning it, and he's not fought since. Uh, dangerous. I think it's an interesting one because Ferguson, even though he's on a you know a bit of a skid, I think he's either one and five or one and six in his last five fights. They've all get, been against the elite of the, the the competition, and before that, the man was an absolute killer. Like 
fucking up everybody. And I think we've 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 agreed that Piblet came in with a fair bit of hype, and the last few fights haven't justified that. Um, you could argue the UFC are maybe trying to throw him someone on a downward slide to to rebuild that hype. I could easily see him losing this fight. I think this is a very, very difficult fight for him. And if, again, if I was having a bet, I think I'd be betting on Ferguson. I bet Ferguson's probably the, a relatively heavy underdog, but this is, you know, this is very, very dangerous for Piblet. Agreed. And uh, Paddy the Baddy's never been particularly, should we say, one of the fighters that you would normally put your money on. He obviously talks a big game and he is one of these that you would want to watch the build-up more than anything. He obviously is quite heavy into his men's mental health, which is much appreciated by the majority of people who watch. But like you say, regardless of the losing streak that Ferguson's on at the moment, and I think it started with Gagey um, absolutely destroying him, um, back in 2020, I think it was. I don't think he's won a fight since 2020. But since that, he seems to be a completely different individual. Paddy, as I say, struggled past Jared Gordon, who is good, but isn't elite. So how does he fare up against someone who has quite literally spent his entire career and certainly the last few years, like you say, fighting the very best of the best? So I think we've got Dariush in there, Oliveira, like I say, Gagey at one point. I'm telling you, telling you the common theme there, mate, is fighting Gagey changes you. <laughs> fighting some, I'm not even joking. Fighting someone that hard, the, the power that man hits with and the way that he fights in his kicks. Most people come out of that fight a different person. You know, he's fucked up. Ferguson was probably never the same. I don't know if Poirier will ever be the same after that. You know, it, there's plenty of people that, you know... Uh, Obviously, the fight that we saw in London, Fizayev, uh, which we will cover briefly in his uh, his injury in the last fight night last weekend. But people aren't the same after they fought Gagey. People underestimate that man. And again, if there is one person in the UFC that deserves that bad motherfucker belt, it is that man. And he might lose a lot of brain cells in the way that he fights, but that is the definition of a warrior, mate. And as you say... He, I can't think of a person bar John Jones I would want to fight least than than Justin Gagey. Can you remember the uh, pictures of Ferguson shortly after the the Gagey fight and like essentially the massive gashes in his cheek? I think there's one just above his head. He, he looks like he's been hit by a truck. Never mind in a UFC yeah, fight. Yeah, that's probably about the same sort of power that the Gagey punches with, mate. As you said, he is a people. You know, he, he has a bit of an up and down career and he has his off nights, but ultimately he'll go down as one of the top five most exciting fighters ever to watch. Like, no, no, name someone that doesn't like watching a Justin Gagey fight. Every single time he fights, I get hyped up for it. As you say, probably the most exciting fighter in the whole UFC to watch. You can almost say he is the baddest motherfucker in the UFC at the moment. You, officially with the belt, you can. He's not more of a bad <laughs> motherfucker than Jones. But yeah, absolutely. And as I say, if any any individual ever deserved that accolade, uh, he is right up there with them. Um, so a couple of others. Um, we have Rachmanov versus Thompson, well-worth about, um, which is, again, another one that's certainly worth watching. And then we also had quite recently announced, I think separate to the, the four announcements there, uh, Ian Gary is back on the cards against... Uh, Vincente Luke, so uh, another one that's 
what a card that is. That's probably the best. And they're training yet. partners as well. They're former training partners, uh, Luke and Gary as well. So that'll be an interesting one. They'll both obviously be familiar with each other's styles. Luke is another man that um, comes to war, brings it every time. You know, you know what you're going to get. You might win, you might lose. Probably wins more than he loses, but he goes out with on on his shield. Um, but I feel like because of that and the way that he fights, which is relatively recklessly, it's set up again for Ian Gary to look good, to dominate and to go up those rankings. I, I feel like the UFC are kind of sticking their chips a little bit on Gary as a potential future star. You know, he's, he's you know, very marketable. We know that the Irish market is a very big uh, following Connor's sort of explosion uh, in, in that manner. He's starting to take on a little bit of the Connor mannerisms of talking, trying to talk a bit of shit and, and things like that, but he's incredibly skilled as well. Um, you know, you, you, you could argue, and a, a very debatable point, he actually might be a more skilled fighter than Connor. It is debatable. Um, I mean, certainly in the, the latter years of his career, he doesn't look anywhere near the same individual that he, he has been, but We'll see, we'll see. I think he's one of these, he's a bit like uh, Rojas Jr., you know, the other hype trains that you've got at the moment. I'm excited to see them against real top-of-the-top, top-of-the-card fighters who are on a different level, you know, the premium ones that are going to make you think, actually, yeah, I'm standing up and taking notice of this kid. Because at the moment, it, it just seems to be, as you say, they're feeding people to him. Understandably so, it's a business you want to keep that hype train rolling, but until he comes up against someone in that division that makes you take notice, then I'll keep it as a, a low hype at the moment. But it's interesting that you should mention, just before you get to that point, where is McGregor? Because if he's not on this card, he's not on 295, he's not fighting this year. Yeah, I, I still think they're going to delay it and save him for 300. I can't, I don't think there's a way that they can sneak him in between 297 what it would be then against um, Chandler and um, 300. So I've been saying for a while and I could even see that the Chandler fight falling through and I'm giving him, as you say, the, the one that people have talked about, which would definitely be the money fight. He, he doesn't deserve it, but would be gagey for the bad motherfucker belt. That's what Connor had I'd seen made a few comments for. That one is money in the bank all day, mate. You stick that on there. You stick John Jones, Pavlovich, um, you know, maybe a couple of other bigger ones like that. You could you could stack that three hundred, uh, absolutely. But um, yeah, I just it just seems to be going on and on. And less the longer it goes, if we, we said many times that, that he doesn't fight, um, or it, it's not announced against Chandler, the less chance I think of it actually happening. I've just lost interest in it. I think in the same way that we've discussed this. It's the you know same with Fury and Usyk, Fury and Joshua. You just eventually you lose that hype, and you get to the point where you're bored of hearing from said individuals. And oh, it's going to happen next year. Oh, it's going to happen next month. It's just not going to happen. I've given up hope completely on it. Yeah, I mean we'll see. Time will tell. Um, so there was a fight night this this week. Uh, pretty shitty one, if I'm honest with you. I, I mean, got got watched the the the, the, the main fight, which is Fizayev, because um, do like him. Obviously, we watched it again. Was on a, a good streak before Gagey changed him, um, as we've just said, and uh, obliterated him. 
Uh, close fight, admittedly, from when we were in London, but uh, definitely think he won. But I don't know if you saw, he suffered a really nasty leg injury uh, relatively early on to uh, Gamrot, which resulted in a TKO loss. And uh, Gamrot has had a, a fair bit of hype behind him as well. But personally, he's one of those ones for me that he's a, he's a mid-tier gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. I don't ever see him breaking into the the elite of the elite of um, the lightweight division. He'll, he'll remain around five or six, you know, something like that. Might get a few fights, you know, if the champion, if he, he carries on maybe getting a couple more wins and the champ uh, at the time has, has fought everybody else, he might get lucky and get a... Um, uh, a championship fight, but he's 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 a, he's he's elite, but he's not top five for me. Yeah, agreed. Um, it, it's a strange one, is Fizayev, because like you say, a lot of people expected big things of him. Obviously, he came up against Gagey, and it seems to be ringing true what you said. People just seem to be changed fighters once they get into the ring with him, um, even if they come out victorious. Obviously, with Chandler uh, previously, never the same after that. Um, Maybe Gage is just far, far better than people give him credit for. He just, he just punches and kicks so hard that I just don't think people can understand a normal person how long extra it takes you to recover from the damage that you take from that man. And he just has no... He might even be one of those people... I'm, I'm talking completely out of my arse here. But he might be one of those people that's got one of those genuine like mental conditions that like he can't feel pain. You know, there's these people that have got like this, this something it's in their a Terminator. brain. There's people with that, like, as a genuine condition, so they can like pick up boiling hot plates because they can't feel it. He, Gagey could easily be someone like that. The way that he fights, the way that the destructive nature that he has, there's something not right about him, mate. I'm telling you, he's he is a destroyer of men. Because he's got asbestos hands. Just fuck asbestos, fucking concrete. Like, not not that fucking concrete that's fucking in schools and crumbling everywhere around, but, like, genuine, full-on hands of stone. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love watching him fight. Um, He can try anyway, but I tell you what, I bet I could take him. Uh, Once I have completed the Bring Me Up Sally Challenge uh, and my abs are made of absolute steel, he could try and kick me with his concrete feet, but they'd just shatter. Introduced like you to that England. this week, didn't I? Thought you thought about that. And heard of the old bring me up. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll keep doing that each week. And I was, I went home and nearly cried that you beat me first week. I <laughs> got to two and a half minutes out of the four minutes. Went back in, back in the old uh, when that came out in uh, COVID days. Every day I was doing that shit in the morning. But um, I'll be doing that. I thought I did it yesterday. I did might you? do it again tonight. I'm gonna do it on the slides the next time we do it, mate. You're fucking getting crushed. For anyone who doesn't know what this is, it's a song by um, Moby. Moby. Who, I no idea. I'm not old enough to know Moby. Uh, a song called Flower, and it's uh, called the Bring Sally Up Challenge. And it's just basically get into a press-up position. Whenever it tells you to go or bring Sally up, you've got to go up. And whenever it's bring Sally down, you've got to go down. But you've got to hold it in said position until it then says that word again. And it's a lot harder than it sounds. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I, there's very, very few people, anyone listening to this podcast, I would, if if you haven't had a look, Google it in terms of it will be on YouTube. Have a look how to do it. Most people first go, if you last a minute, you're doing fucking well. And as I say, I did it religiously during COVID for probably a two or three month period. And I got up to two and a half minutes of the four minutes. And like, you're shaking, your whole body's like, Ugh! 
it's literally one of the hardest things that you can possibly do. But um, yeah, I've been practicing on the slide, ready for next week's uh, effort with you to make sure that I bury you into the ground this time. You know, we'll have a lot of time to do some press-ups and the Bring Sally Up Challenge. Israel Adesanya, when he is uh, spending three months in prison. Is that right? I saw saw that he got done for drink driving. I did not realise it had a custodial sentence. Yeah, well, a potential. It's one of these that you see in news. It's like, faces three months in prison and he actually pays about two grand or something to get out of it. Um, But yeah, he has recently pled guilty to a drink driving charge in New Zealand and it happened on August the 19th, which I think was about three weeks before he lost his title to Strickland. So not a good month for him, really. Uh, No, but I've got to be honest, I didn't know that. I was, um, as I said, I knew, I had seen that he'd got, um, uh, you know, done for drink driving, but I did not appreciate in New Zealand that meant a custodial sentence. I thought that would be a, you know, standard ban, fat fine, that type of thing. Uh, But yeah. I think it's John Jones, isn't it? um, Yeah, well, if it was John Jones, he would have fled the scene, wouldn't he? (laughs) Fucking smashed the car up and fucking legged it. But yeah. Moving on, um, I mean, one we don't talk about enough, I think, and I know we get a bit of stick for this, so I brought this one in because I felt we had to, and I, I, I watched this one. This was was immense, and I, I'm going to throw up after um, this. Uh, we record this. It will go up before we go live tomorrow, the, the YouTube decision, and I would, um, any combat sports fan, I would encourage to watch. So this was 1FC this weekend had... Um, what most people have billed as the biggest Muay Thai fight in the last 50 years. So you've got probably two of maybe the five greatest ever Muay Thai practitioners, Rotang and Superlek. Uh, what I really liked about this and I like about 1FC, so this is Muay Thai, which is obviously, again, sorry for those uninitiated, but is kickboxing, but with elbows and knees, normally with boxing gloves. But what 1FC are now doing are introducing this with four-ounce MMA gloves. So this was Muay Thai with, with, with smaller gloves. And it was a battle for the ages. Can and... you punch? Pardon? Can you punch? Of course you can. Mu- Muay, Thai, Muay Thai stands for eight points of contact. So that is hands, feet, elbows, knees. Uh, that's uh, what right, Muay Thai okay. stands for. So that's the every day's every day's a lesson on the, there. You uh, go. Difference between that and kickboxing is the knees and the elbows. Kick, normal kickboxing, you can't use those. Whereas Muay Thai uh, is the more savage version. And I still, to this day, don't understand why it's not bigger. If I'm honest with you, um, I heard a little bit. We'll come on to to this in a bit because Inganu was on Rogan, uh, and Rogan was talking about this. And for any combat sports fan, I don't know why. You've got Dana White, for example, doing the slap challenge and doing this nonsense. Why do you not get UFC Muay Thai? The UFC promotion threw their weight behind Muay Thai. Everybody in it watching most MMA wants to watch a stand-up war, unless you're the super you know, fans like us that appreciate the jiu-jitsu side of things. You want to watch two guys beating the shit out of each other. That's every single Muay Thai fight. And I've got no idea why it's not a bigger combat sport than it is. And um, I feel that, as you say, there's a massive hole in the market. If you could get the UFC to get that on board, 
have their own little brand of, you know, UFC Muay Thai. Um, could be massive. It could blow into the stratosphere because um, it's such a fucking great sport to watch. You not prefer watching people slap each other as hard as they can around first? Nah, not compared damage. to Muay Thai. Nah, not in a million years. <laughs> Muay Thai is better every single day. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I won't go through it again because I know not all of our fans are, are huge Muay Thai fans. But uh, first round, um, Rotang started bloodying up Superlek. Superlek is known for having some of the biggest, the worst kicks in the game. Just at, like you, you can't even imagine how hard this guy kicks. Um, and he's, he's, he's kicking away at Rotang, but Rotang catches him with his savage elbow right across his head, and uh, Superlek has, like, dyed blonde hair, and by the end of the first round, his hair's just red from blood. Massive gash across his head. Um, second round, Superlek actually gets the knockdown from a, from a kick and knocks Rotang down, which is almost unheard of, because, I say, Rotang is, is so good. And the third round, it was just a complete and utter slugfest, both just kicking the living shit out of each other. But um, it was a very close fight. Superlet looked um, like he actually had suffered the more damage, mainly because of this really bad gash to his head and, and the blood all running down him. But he did have the knockdown uh, and all three judges gave it to Superlet. But I'll stick the YouTube video up on um, YouTube after this. And would encourage anyone. It's only three three-minute rounds, so it's not a massive fight to watch. But um, you won't see any better scraps than that if you uh, you got ten minutes spare. Yeah, I definitely need to watch it. You sent me it on Saturday while we were waiting for his plane in Munich because we had the longest wait for a plane ever known to man. Fantastic booking by my mates to book a half ten flight at night. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't watch it because I'd have run out of battery, and then I won't be able to get home. But I'll definitely watch it for you. Yeah, watch it. I'll stick it. I say I'll stick it up on socials afterwards. But I would seriously recommend anyone watches that because it's say uh, absolutely amazing. Um, last thing I got on 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 MMA was uh, interesting to see Ingarnu Francis Ingarnu on Rogan's podcast this week. So um, talking about his release from the UFC, um, Kai kind of tried to make out that he'd done everything he could to try and stay within the promotion. He'd even met, which is quite common knowledge, Dana and some of the other UFC execs for dinner and just couldn't quite thrash out a new deal. Sounded like he was clearly asking for one, too much money, but two, the ability to box. Uh, His argument that he said on Rogan was, well, you let Connor box. Why won't you let me box? And I think their resounding answer was, you're not Connor. Um, so, much there was so. That. they're not wrong either, to be fair. A- absolutely not wrong. Uh, but again, from, from the UFC's point of view, usually if there's money to be made, they'll be involved in promoting it. So it did seem strange to me that they might not have allowed him to do that because particularly how it's sort of now worked out, then there's going to be a shitload of money in the promotion and however much money he's getting for, for Fight and Fury. So I feel that that's one the UFC kind of let himself down on a little bit, if I'm totally honest with you, because I feel like they could have, one, we could have got the fight we all want, which is Ngannou, John Jones in the UFC. And if he wants, then they want to co-promote with a boxing agency and let him go and fight Fury and take a massive cut of that money as well, then why wouldn't they? So I kind of feel that there's definitely something behind the scenes there. And I get the feeling that Dana wasn't Ngannou's biggest fan 
and Ngannou probably didn't handle the negotiations in perhaps the best way, if that's, you know, he could have done it differently, perhaps, to make sure that um, that fight happened, maybe. But um, as you say, we'll never know fully. But one of the interesting things I thought he mentioned is he was obviously talking about his his, um, preparation for the fight with... um, uh, Fury, uh, and they were. It, Rogan was asking him about his training camp and how he was preparing for it and things like that. And one of the things that he was saying, which seems a not a very bright idea, or certainly not something particularly bright to admit to the world, you know, on the world's biggest podcast, is that he's basically just been sparring with his normal sparring partners because he can't find any sparring partners that mir- mirror or mimic Fury's style in terms of their pure size and uh, ability, um, which I thought was interesting. So it sounded like he'd just been sparring with other heavyweights, but not anyone designed to help him deal with what Fury brings in terms of his size, his ability to switch stances, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of listened to that one with a little bit of like, that doesn't seem for your first ever boxing fight uh, a particularly clever way to approach um what could be uh an ass whooping to be fair but first um, of all first of all joe rogan's experience the biggest podcast in the world it's the second second biggest, biggest sorry second biggest let's, obviously let's establish that secondly um yeah it, it's just stupid in it but it's not like he's known for his brains and his intelligence is it he's known as I'm going to smash your face in because I am a scary specimen of a man. Yeah. And that's what's got him the fight in it is what he looks like. Um, you know, but, uh, and again, it's one of those that the difference between the two will be quite funny really. Cause you've got, you know, dad bod fury who looks like he's just come out of picking his kid up from school against a man that's fucking come from Mount Olympus and been sculpted by the gods. You know, you, you've got a, uh, a distinct, huge difference in the way that they both look um, uh, physically, um, realistically. But time will tell, um, and you never know. I've, I've seen a few uh, videos of him hitting the pads with with Iron Mike. He's obviously got Iron Mike in his corner, and um, some of it's been more impressive than I expected. If I'm perfectly honest with you, I don't think he's looked terrible in the slightest. Um, you know, I don't think he's got what it takes in his first professional fight to take on Furies is crazy, but he's going to make a shitload of money. Um, and he's probably one in one of those positions that as long as he doesn't get sparked out in the first round and look a clown, then, um, you know, it opens up fights for other people. Someone like Joshua, he's not exactly flying at the moment, might, try and pick up pick him up for an easy win afterwards so um be interesting to see again it's one of those that it's a bit it's not quite influencer boxing and that nonsense but i'll definitely be watching it happy anniversary ian for for your home the look on your face just absolute dumbfounded uh today marks the 139th year anniversary of Anfield. Uh, what a fantastic a stat that I didn't have. Uh, it, I didn't know and uh, had escaped me as a, a super fan. Uh, well, you don't even watch your games in Cup, do you, these days? So 
the question that I have for you, because everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much you like to talk about Liverpool and how you like to listen to the sound of your own voice, what is your favourite moment at Anfield in history that well that you've witnessed, uh, whether it be on the TV, whether it be live, whatever? So, so I, I laugh because I could give a story of when I was live at Anfield, which I think to call it funny would be harsh, but it's worth sharing. It was the first time I ever went to Anfield. Um, my parents tried to motivate me for my GCSEs and gave me a set level of if I get so many A's, I they would take me to Anfield. So I achieved that. My dad took me to Anfield. This is when I lived in Bournemouth. We went to see West Ham because my dad's a West Ham fan. So we travelled all the way up. Uh, my dad got us really good tickets in the paddock. We were literally on the front row. And just before kickoff, you've got, uh, it was David James at the time. This is how far we're going back in goal. And at the time, we're sat there this is maybe like 10 minutes before the game everybody else has gone in James is just finishing his warm-ups and there were some um disabled um people that came down uh along the front of the sort of in front of our seats and there's a guy in a wheelchair sat there uh with his you know his family and his parents have obviously kind of wheeled him down there to uh get a you know front row view and all I remember is watching and James is fucking around doing his usual and he kicks the ball. And I swear to God, I'm literally looking. This ball is coming directly for my face, like an arrow, like he punted it. You know, one of those low punts that skims and it smashed this disabled kid in the face. And if it wasn't for the disabled kid, it would have hit me in the face. But I watched it come in directly and you know when you're like no, in slow motion like no 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 it's disabled kids talking to his family and it drilled him in the face and you know when you're just like you don't know whether to laugh or cry like James came over obviously was like super apologetic took his jersey off signed it for the kid the kid you know but that 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 it always lives in my memory because that was my first experience I think in terms of favorite memories it's Heart, the 7-0 last season is obviously a wonderful one because smashing the scum 7-0 at Anfield is terrific. But I think if I had to be pinned down on it, it would be the 4-0 comeback against Barca. I'm going to say, it surely had to be that. So just to establish your two favourite moments, are European comeback for the ages and... Some poor disabled person getting smacked in the face. I didn't say I, was, no, I just I just said <laughs> I felt it was a story that lives on from my first ever experience and just sits in my mind. It was it wasn't, but it's it's just a story I thought was worth sharing. And um, like yeah, it was just it was it was yeah, it, it was it, 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 I always remember it. But we're looking good, and I'm starting to have to take back my my points about Jurgen being poor with with subs three or four games in a row now he's made subs and, and changed the game you know um in not only in the premier league um if we start there uh close game against the hammers obviously again big game for me with uh my dad and one of my best mates wolf being west ham fans 
Um, I thought Bowen and Pakitar uh, had a very good game for them, looked very impressive. Um, you know, you had your, your typical chaotic and erratic Nunes where he misses two very, very good chances and then scores a superb goal to put us in front. Um, uh, but he, he looks a different player this season. Not only that, that slightly more clinical side, but he's doing an amazing job of holding the ball up and bringing other people into play, which is kind of underestimated and going under the radar a little bit at the moment. Uruguay and um, uh, Patrick Bamford. And when I say that, you'll laugh and you'll think that it's an insult. I am being genuinely insult. serious because of the fact that the reason Patrick Bamford had his fantastic season was Marcelo Bielsa, and who is obviously the manager of Uruguay at the moment. Um, you Mo, you've got to give a shout out to Mo. 12 get, uh, goal contributions in 12 games, only bettered once in the Premier League history before. Do you know who by? I thought he'd already bettered it. I thought he'd done it was indeed. Mo oh, well. went 15 games uh, doing the same. So surely, and again, no bias aside, on his way down to be a Premier League legend even if he is, leaves at the end of the season to go to Saudi Arabia. Is he the greatest African player to play in the Premier League? Yes, by a long way, I would say. Ooh, I think he's cool. got more goals than any Afri- other African player, isn't he? I think he's got more than Dr- Drogba would be probably the, the other obvious one that you would throw into that. Yeah, I, w- I would have said Drogba. Yeah, at all. Or In the conversation... Um, I mean, those three might well be top, but Very different I did, players. Throw, up a little, I did yeah. throw up a little stat, though, that I couldn't help. Uh, I don't know if you saw that I couldn't help uh, put up on the, uh, our Twitter, which I thought was quite telling as well, um, which I'll Sneaking just repeat for now, those that haven't seen it. Uh, you must have seen this one. This was a little bit, but um, who has the... It's by ESPN. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who has the greatest Premier League um, legacy? Cristiano Ronaldo, 236 games, 103 goals, 37 assists. Mo, 236 games, 141 goals, 63 assists. I would argue, personally, Mo Salah. And that's not me saying that Salah's a better player than Ronaldo. I would just say Ronaldo's more of a La Liga legend, if we're saying it like that. Because yeah, and you would argue that Ronaldo, Ronaldo you know, was caught at the start of his career and at the end of his career rather than in, in his prime. I, 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 I can't disagree with that. But I just thought in terms of actually when you look at those numbers uh, for the identical games, Mo's like 40 goals ahead and 30-odd assists ahead. So you're talking 70 goal contributions ahead which is a hell of a lot. But yeah, you are right that it's not necessarily comparing um, apples and apples. But um, Manu scraped to a victory over Burnley. Still Huge struggling win. for the first point. Um, Huge win. The first point. They've got a point. Burnley haven't, have they? Yeah, I'm sure they have. Have they? I thought they had. They were only, yeah, they've definitely drawn. I'm sure it's only, um, it was only Luton that didn't have a point, and I think everyone has a point now. All right, I'll take it back then. But, um, oh. man, you looking in trouble, uh, still after that. And one thing I did read again, slight tangent off that there's obviously talk about Sancho, but I read a few things this week that they claim now that the uh, relationship between Ten Hag and Sancho is irreparable. So it looks like he may well be off in January. I, honestly, that someone 
should pick him up in January in the Premier League and someone will get a bargain. I could see him going to Dortmund again because obviously he had his best spell of his career at Dortmund. But other than City, of course, because City won't want him. Um, you know, someone like a Palace, maybe, it could fit in quite I'll well. Tell you now, I'll tell you now, Saudi. He's going to Saudi. He's going to take the big bucks, isn't he? That'd be boring. Yeah, I think I just I totally agree. I mean, Dortmund would be the sensible one if I were them, given what he did for them and how he fitted in, take him back. But um, Spurs, I could see him going to Saudi. Yeah, I mean, Spurs. the problem is, is how much you pay. Give a man you paid a ridiculous 90 odd million for him. How much do a hit do they take to get rid of him? They're going to you'd be lucky to get 50 million for him, I'd say. Um, they're going to take a big hit. But um uh, I, I could see him going to Saudi. I'll be honest with you, taking the taking the cash and doing that. Uh, City, despite having less men, absolutely smashed for it. I mean, you'd expect them to, wouldn't you? We're only two 0 but absolutely smashed for us. There were no real battle there. Um, did Calvin Phillips come on? Did he get some game time? I, I mean, he might have seen as Rodri went off, um, maybe. But um, yeah, just again. Won every game so far, aren't they? Obviously, the team to beat, looking imperious as ever. Uh, and as you say, uh, my mind is definitely getting changed game by game on on Doku, becoming more and more impressed with him. And I wasn't his biggest fan to, to start with. I thought he'd, they'd overpaid and he might take a while to to get to Mares's level to be able to replace him. But it's looking a very, very shrewd signing indeed. Yeah, absolutely. It does look very good. A um, bit like a Rafinha. Rafinha Light, and obviously he was the man that replaced Rafinha previously. Um, Everton pulling off the first one of the, the season. I was exceptionally disappointed by this. I was keeping up with it in airport, and I saw that Brentford pulled it back, and then all of a sudden Everton scored a couple. I think Jack Harrison's made his debut in the cup for him. I really want them to go down, but as they always seem to do, they're just going to be hovering over relegation zone all season and survive by the skin of the teeth because there's too many shit teams in that league. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, it's surprising because they've been struggling, haven't they? And then you suddenly just get a couple of results like that and they fly up the table. But I still think they'll struggle. But I think it's one of those that, particularly with Luton uh, and Burnley, they're probably by far the two worst teams in the league, that they're just a team worse than Everton. Everton will be saved by the fact there's teams worse than them. And, of course, you can't help but say, again, if we're talking about worst teams, um, Chef United fans probably getting their nooses ready after taking a record 8-0 dicking at home, which included a record for Newcastle with eight different scorers and a hat-trick of assists from Trippier. Insane. Unbelievable. I watched it. I watched that and it was just one of those where I, I personally don't know how Paul Leckenbottom still got a job. I think it's it's very harsh because it shows the gulf in class between the Championship and the Premier League. Um, obviously, Newcastle, very much on the up. Massive money behind them. Sheffield United have made a few signings, but they've also lost some big players when coming up. It's a very, very difficult job to keep them up this season. I know they've been linked with Chris Wilder. Wilder coming back seems to be the main rumour, in it? Which worked last time, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's replicate the failures from before. But, I mean, who's going to take that job, to be fair? I mean, can they get... Can they get anyone better? I mean, I feel like it's, again, it's still a bit early in the season and 8-0 is always going to make you, you know, the managers, uh, the owners, sorry, say, hang on a second, something that's not quite right here. But is it one of those slightly freakish results as well? But 
Um, final one for me, and again, I, I can't pretend that I'm not enjoying to see it, despite uh, my, my granddad, rest in peace, being a, a massive Chelsea fan and season ticket holder there for as long, for, for 20-odd years. They are struggling, aren't they? I mean, the red card didn't help them, but losing to Villa, question I've got for you, how much, to, how much longer does he give Poch? See, I don't know on this one, because the whole problem that Chelsea have had in recent years is this weird... Chopping, changing, trying to sort things out, panicking, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't think they should have got rid of Tuchel. I still stand by that. I think that was the wrong thing to do. And Agreed. It, it, it's obviously told since then. It's been telling since then. I would give him at least until after the international break, personally. And I, mean, I think you've got to give him longer. I mean, a man of his, I mean, he hasn't obviously won a great deal, Poch, but he has a very high reputation as as, as, a, as a player, uh, sorry, as a manager. It's going to take time. He's got a very disjointed squad. As we know, their sort of transfer philosophy is based around, let's just buy all the best young players in the world. No real, we need this position. We need that position. They just spend the money buy these players in, loan them out, some of the, the younger ones, play the other ones. I mean, you've got some people who've got to be really looking in the mirror, you know, 90-odd million for fucking Mudrich, and he, he looks like an absolute waste of space. Um, Gusto, I mean, for me, he was looking really good, but he was the one that had the red card and probably ultimately cost him the game. But uh, and, and I don't know who you would necessarily say that they could replace him with at the moment, who's free. There's there's our man we mention all the time that still shot, but doesn't have a job of, of Gallardo. You've got Zinedine Zidane. But outside of that, I mean, I, I feel like Chelsea are almost in a bit of a bind now that they they, they chopped and changed before. Uh, I feel like they're kind of, once they've gone for Poch and the, you know, the, the, the raving that they got about him, you say past the international break. I mean, I, I think you've got to go till Christmas. I mean, if they're still like this at Christmas, then he's probably a dead man walking. But I feel anything before Christmas is 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 harsh. Does he turn it around? Because they've got to finish in the European spots this season. That that's other than that, that's a failure. I mean, they've and... got the players too, and he's got the ability to. It's just a case of how long they give him and whether he can get his methods across in that time. But I've got a feeling I can see him getting sacked. I don't think he'll stay out the season. How much, how long he'll, he'll survive, I'm not sure. Uh, and again, Bowley does seem to be. This is again what happens when you get these Yanks that come into football. Too much money. I haven't got a real clue about what they're doing. Bit trigger happy. Don't really know what they're doing. Um, that that will play a part in it. But um, you've got to give him a bit longer, despite the stick he's getting and the you know the poor results. Um, you know, I think it's their second worst ever start to a Premier League season. So, um, but for me, you've got to give him till at least Christmas and see if he can improve things. No real European shocks this past week, were there? I think um, everything went pretty much as you would have expected it to go on. Arsenal, obviously on the return to Champions League, absolutely decimated PSV. I think it was like 4-0. 4-0. Um, Bayern, obviously, I were over there when that were all going on. We found a little bar to watch it in. There was one Manchester United fan sat on his own, which... Why? Why have you gone all the way to Bayern Munich to watch that? Um, we stopped watching it at 2-0 because by that point we were almost blackout drunk and we were on the tequilas. Got in a taxi later on and we were told it was 4-3. Like, well, how on earth has it got to 4-3? So I had to look that up to believe it because I simply didn't. And then obviously City panicking a little bit, going behind against the only team in the world that we can't pronounce. 
and then obviously coming back and class told in the end. And I think it's Rodri who scores a, an absolute peach from the edge of the box. Did you see the, the point there where they went 1-0 down, that the other team had had one shot, one goal, City <laughs> had had 20 shots and not scored. It was in set. It was one of those ones you could just tell was coming. You know, for a moment, if you're, you're, you're wondering, City don't seem to have as many of those games these days where you just think it's just not going to happen for them. But that was, a, I did see that point when they scored. City had, had 20 shots and not scored. Serbian team, one shot up the other end, clinical and put it away. But you always got the feeling that was going to turn round. But yeah, it wasn't really any particularly big shocks other than that, was there really, um, for, for the Champions League, I would have said. No, I think the only ones that I can think of the time I had, they were a little bit disappointing and I'm not personally a, a fan of them, of course, but I know Brighton had a bit of a thriller with AK Athens, didn't they? I think they, they unfortunately... They Lost on the debut, which was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, obviously can't help but mention the, the wonderful game and the superb victory over the in super tough uh, opposition of LAS Glentnitz, where we again went behind and struggled to overcome them, but looked good in the end. Um, Gravenbach, I'm just going to give a little quick shout out to him. Um, he's been giving a little bit of game time, starting in the lower matches and coming off. Two goals in the last, sorry, two two assists in the last three games. So he looks like he's adding a little bit of uh, drive and creativity to the team. Um, uh, but it was a subject change that game. We were really struggling, and then um, Klopp brought on the big guns at sort of fifty-five minutes and cruised after that. But um, we should cruise through that group easy. I'm going to say it's not not bad, is it, to be able to bring on uh, Slobazai, McAllister, and Mohamed Salah to change a game. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I think we have Union Saint-Gallese in uh, the Belgian team next at uh, Anfield is our next game, which I think is uh, a week today, in fact, I believe. I bet you are very much looking forward to that. Again, another titan of the European scene coming to Anfield to watch that could easily supersede the 4-0 victory over Barca in terms of my greatest ever moment. So, uh, Or a, a disabled individual getting it in the face. Yeah, one of the two. Big Bang Zhang does it again. What a man. Absolutely class. No doubt whatsoever when we said it last week that it happened. And it did happen in even more emphatic uh, fashion this time. It was absolutely fantastic. It might have been knockout a year. Definitely, definitely might be. Yeah, don't, don't you just love it when we're absolutely right and spot on? Called it yeah. exactly exactly right, as you say. Even more emphatic in the third round. Um, monstrous right hook that put him down. I mean, again, the only thing I'd say is for most heavyweights, that would have put him in that Tyson Fury wilder position, a flat out on their back. You know, fair play to Joyce that he actually took the knee managed to get back up, but was never going to be able to carry on. But that was a fucking punch. I think he does actually get knocked out on the way down, though. It's one of those where him hitting the canvas probably wakes him up. It's such a solid right hook. It's really well telegraphed. One of those that's absolute chef's kiss to perfection. And then he gets up and he's like, oh, what's going on? The referee just He's done, though, isn't he? Jo- Joyce is done. And where does he go from any... there? Well, yeah. there's nowhere to go. Any Anywhere as a, a, a remotely near top level heavyweight is over does he start trying to do your your crossover fights you and garnus and things like that does he just retire i mean he's not getting any younger 
It's become a punching bag. He's always been a punching bag because of his style of fighting. He's going to be losing brain cells. He loses his um, chin, which he seems to have done, sir, and he can't take any of the bigger heavyweights. What does he have? That The whole point yeah, of his nickname being a juggernaut is that he walks into it and you can't knock him out. He's been knocked out twice now. No, no, I, I don't disagree with you. and I, I don't see where he goes. I mean, interestingly for Zach, Zhang, that means he's mandatory, doesn't he, now for, for Usyk? So... After Usyk's next fight, um, does he have to? He obviously will have to fight Zhang uh, unless he wants to relinquish one of his belts. So, Did you see um, what he said, Zhang, at the end of the, the fight when he went ring and got uh, a mic. He called, he called, called out Usyk, didn't he? He called out Tyson Fury. He said, Sorry, uh, that's right. He said, yeah, Does anyone want me to sit and beat up Tyson Fury? So he shut right. him up. Yeah, yeah um, which would be nice. I'd, I'd love to see that. But one of those that the I next would love best to see thing... it, but Fury would beat the fuck out of him. I think, I think. Uh, you think so? But easily, easily, I have to say. Punch's chance. Punch's chance. Um, just, more... If you can take a wilder punch, I feel like you can take a Yang punch. Yeah, but he only just took a wilder punch, didn't he, in that first fight? By yeah, literally. No, no, I, I don't disagree. Skin but, of his um... Canelo and Charlo is this weekend. It's massively snuck up on me. I didn't even realise it wore until I were having a look at what uh, fights were this weekend. Um, but obviously, Undisputed versus undisputed. So Canelo at uh, super middleweight taking on Jamel Charlo at, uh, well, he was the, the light super middleweight. Welter. Yeah, so they're both fighting at um, super middle. And then it, it seems like one of these that, for me, Canelo is just going to walk through him because of the significant weight advantage. And I, I only seen it going one way. I know Canelo is definitely on the slide at the moment. And he always has this habit of taking the fights that he thinks he's going to win rather than the fights that are more entertaining. But two weight classes going up is is a significant. I mean, jump. I think at that weight you're talking, I think it goes up seven pounds for those two per per uh, weight. So going up, that's 14 pounds. That's a stone. We know Canelo uh, has a big weight cut because he's a big fucking fella. So Canelo could be coming in at like stone and a half, two stone heavier than Charlo on fight night. Um, I mean, I've got a few stats for you here. Canelo's record is 59, two and two with a uh, KO record uh, percentage of 66.1%, which I actually thought might be higher than that, if I'm honest with you. Uh, Charlo, 35, one and one with a KO record of 54.29%. So, um both, you know, can go the distance, but equally have a few knockouts uh, in them. I just, it's a bit like when we talked about, for me, Volk, uh, Makalev. It's all upside for Charlo, no real downside, because he, he's going up two divisions. He gets the credit for the ballsiness of, of, of that move, and there's no real downside. He loses, he's lost to one of the best ever. Um, and he's still undisputed at Super Welter. All right, he's got a loss on his his um, you know record, but he wins. He's suddenly a double undisputed champ, and he can literally probably pick a litany of any fighter he wants at those weights and or in between. Yeah, you know. So it feels like Canelo's got the the, the bum end of the deal in that it's all rests on him. But I kind of agree with you. I just think Canelo will probably overpower him. And just be too much, to be honest with you. Something special about undisputed versus undisputed, though. I do like the ring of that. It's uh... I do, but when it's 
two weight classes as say I feel like as you say if it was one weight class it's a bit different I mean you've got to give, give you, Charlo deserves a, a fuckload of respect in terms of, of of being prepared to do that against one of the you know allegedly best ever fighters um you know the balls to do that is that's some kahunas uh on the man to do that and he obviously you know rates himself or he wouldn't be doing it but I'm sure he's getting a pretty tasty payday out of this as well compared to it. But the one thing I would say, we know Canelo, all right, he's lost to Mayweather. All right, he lost to um, Baval. There were his only two losses, but he's fought some other named opponents that people will be aware of. I've got to be honest, I had a quick look at Boxing Rec before we came up. Literally not even sure I've ever heard of a single opponent that Charlo's beat. And don't forget, Canelo definitely lost to GGG. I'm still, regardless of what's on his record. Definitely, agreed. He yeah, he's, right, got, yeah. he's got two wins of that on his record, as long as Amir Khan as well. But definitely, as you say, one of them fights, 100% he lost. Um, yeah. But Charlo, if you actually look at who he's fought, talk about a padded record. You know, he might have those 35 wins, but he's never fought anyone remotely close to the level of Charlo. So I kind of go with you on that one. Um if he goes the distance, he's 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 done fucking well for me. Um, uh, but it could easily be a knockout. It's sort of six, seven, eight, ninth round for me, probably. It's the modern American boxer way, though, isn't it? To have a very padded record, you, you fight these lower individuals, and then by the time you get on the world scene, you've got like twenty five. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's never. You look at Wilder, for example. He's got some all right names on his record before he fought Fury, but. Nothing fantastic, really. Nothing that makes you stand up and think, yeah, this guy is world-class, which is why... You look at Canelo's at 59, you know, before he started taking on the big boys like Mayweather and, you know, Amir Khan and that, it was probably something like 48 and oh, you know, people you've literally never heard of, just a load of Mexican fucking bin men who've been beating (laughs) the fuck out of in Mexico. So um, it is the the way of the world, really, these days that... um, and again, it's in stark contrast to the UFC where you don't get those and you get your Pereiras and your, your you know, um, Prohaskas who are just thrown straight in, sign, bang, right, fighting for the title, thrown to the Wolves. And, the, you know, the the difference between the two is quite startling, really. Yeah, I mean, Canelo's super performances for me, I think it's sort of in the last three fights, he's not looked very good but he has had a, an injured left wrist that's been surgically repaired. So I'm assuming that's all completely fine now. He's got no excuses. It's essentially a very good big man versus a very good little man. And if Canelo is, you know, at his game, he will do what he always does. He'll stalk him, will cut off the ring, wear him down. And then, as you say, I think it's a late stoppage. I think he'll knock him out sort of 10th, 11th. Um, Charlo has to take this to a decision for me to win it. And I think even then, it's a pipe dream. I, I can't. He's a very good fighter, is Charlo, but he's not of that level. And certainly, when you're stepping up two weight classes, it's got to be taken into account. It's the same as you mentioned Pereira there. If you drop a weight class and you have to try and cut it, it affects you significantly. So if you're out of your comfort zone, yeah, I think it's only going one way. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll, we'll recap on that one next week. But um, that's it for me. Yeah, uh, we've got a wedding to go to which i'm sure will be absolutely hilarious because i'm not drinking uh i'm barbados we're off to aren't we that's gonna be really good might have one or two drinks when we come back from the actual wedding itself and go to a nice pub or something uh before we go back to the hotel but other than that 
What a waste of a weekend. I mean, what a fantastic weekend. I'm going to pinpoint the person in question to the, your little comments on this and to, to, uh, point out uh, what you're saying about a wedding. Oh, I'm terrified. I'll knock her out. I ain't scared of her. Not scared at all. Anyway. Well, um, you, should be, you uh, should be scared of the groom because that motherfucker looks like a bit, you know, he's, he's going to be swinging some bombs. Big Ben. Yeah. Mr. Gribbly himself. Um, I'll let you, <laughs> your dinner's just been delivered, so I'll let you get off. <laughs> Go enjoy your fish and chips. Uh, that's I all will for do, us. mate. Yeah, that's all from us this week, and we'll speak to you soon.